If you're reading from the Church Bible, it's page 615. Isaiah 55, verses 1 to 9. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labour for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I make him a witness to peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts and not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are the ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Our second reading is Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. It's page 827 if you're reading from the Church Bible. Matthew 22, starting from verse 1. And again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Kim. Good morning, everyone. My name's Dan. If we haven't met before, I'm the pastor here and one of the elders and just want to echo as well um, what a, a great effort it was yesterday at the Working Bee. Uh, there were stacks of people here. It was a massive turnout. It feels weird to say that you missed out uh, if you weren't here because it was like 
humid, 30 degrees, <laughs> but, but it's good to serve the Lord. And, and some of the fruit of that is some new spaces where people can gather in the hall and, and upstairs and out in the kids' rooms. So hopefully you enjoy those spaces. Hopefully those are spaces that, that give you confidence also to invite friends and family members. So it's all a good thing. And I so appreciate those of you who are here to help. Uh, here's where we're at. So it's the final week of Jesus' life. We're in Matthew 22. So keep your Bible open there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, just Google Matthew 22 ESV. ESV is the version of the Bible we use. Just keep your phone out, Google it. Matthew 22. Uh, The story so far is Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. He's entered into the holy city. He's come as the king and as the Messiah. The crowds have celebrated him, but the religious leadership have condemned him. And then when he comes and he clears out the temple, remember this a couple of weeks ago, he clears the temple uh, and, and takes away all these distractions to worship. The religious leaders come and they say, who gave you the authority to do all these things? Right? They are seething. What gave you the right? And as we saw last week, Jesus deftly turns the question back on them with another question. And then he goes on to tell two stories, two parables about what these religious leaders are really like. They're like a son who says that he will do something and then doesn't follow through. And they are like tenants in a vineyard who refuse to pay their rent. And when the owner of the vineyard sends servants to collect, they mistreat and kill the servants. This is what the religious leadership in Israel is like. And what can you say, but they've lost the plot, haven't they? Jesus makes that really clear, and yet he still isn't done. There's more that he has to say about the state of leadership in Israel. He has a third story to tell. And this story, like many good stories, has a twist in it. Don't you love a a good movie with a twist? Uh, Planet of the Apes, The Sixth Sense, Fight Club, Memento, The Prestige. I'm ruining a whole bunch of movies for you if you haven't seen them. (laughs) Right, A movie with a twist or a story with a twist, that the twist lives in your memory, doesn't it? And it makes the movie sort of grab you and it makes you want to say to people, you've got to go and see this movie, at least if it hasn't been spoiled. The story that we see here has a twist in it. In fact, not just one twist. It has three twists, which is a bit disorientating. But each of these three twists is meant to do something like a twist in... Any of these movies, like Planet of the Apes, right at the end, it lives in your memory, it grabs you, the story, uh, the point of the story hits home. So too, at, at each juncture in this parable that Jesus tells, the story is meant to grab us and the point is supposed to hit home. And so what we're going to do with this story, we're going to take it in three parts, just navigating each of those three twists. And it all has to do with the invitation that God gives out for people to join his kingdom. Three twists around this invitation. And at each of these twists, there is something to be said to those who are not yet Christians. There is something to be said to those who feel as though they're not Christians, but actually are. And there is something to be said to those who think that they are Christians, but actually are not. Three twists speaking to three kinds of people. Let's pray and then we'll dig in. Lord God, as we open your word, we just ask simply and humbly, please open our eyes. Open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your word. Things that provoke wonder as to who you are. Things that make us wonder at your son. Things that make us see things for what they really are. Lord, we rely on you to do this work in us. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the story begins in verse 1. Take a look there. Matthew 22, verse 1. And the first thing we see is Jesus is just continuing his conversation with the religious elite, right? He's told them two stories to show what they're really like. They're like the sun. They're like the tenants. And then verse 1, again, Jesus spoke to them. He's just continuing the conversation. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. And he says that we're to imagine a king whose son is about to get married. What a big deal, right? The wedding of the heir to the throne. Weddings are a big deal. 
Even in Australia, weddings are a big deal. Uh, I looked up the average cost of a wedding in Australia. How much do you think it is? A lot. Shocking is what I'm hearing. $36,000 is the average cost of a wedding in Australia. Just so you know, when we got married five years ago, nowhere near that. (laughs) Nothing like that. Very simple. (laughs) Um, It just goes to show, though, what people are willing to invest in their wedding, doesn't it? Because weddings are a big deal. I actually looked back at our... um, uh, Excel spreadsheet that we used to plan our wedding the other day, and, and we just had all of the different jobs on it that had to be done. 174 different rows of jobs that needed to be done, and all of those then broke down into other little bullet point lists. We were still ticking them off. I actually looked and said on Google Sheets, date modified uh, September 14, 2018, and our wedding was September 15, 2018. So we were still working on this. People are so invested, of course, and rightly so, in their weddings. And you can imagine the wedding for this king's son must have been an even bigger deal. Verse 2, he gave a wedding feast for his son. But behind that statement surely is a lot of money and a lot of time invested in this wedding for the king's son. And then the invitations, of the invitations, right? That's when it gets real, isn't it? Because then you've got to think through, who do I invite? Who do I cut? Who do I wish I could invite? But we only have so many invitations we can give out, don't we? And so here for the king, for goodness sake, he's got all of these citizens, thousands, tens of thousands maybe. Who is he going to invite to the wedding? Well, it's going to be his inner circle, isn't it? Those who are closest to him. Maybe dignitaries, city officials. It could be business owners who are pretty high profile the kind that rub shoulders with the king. It could be lifelong friends. These are the people that the king invites. And so now verse 3, he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. It's the day of the wedding. Everything's prepared. And in the first century, you don't have a a watch or a clock to look at. So, you know, it's going to be on September the 15th at 3 p.m. You don't know when 3 p.m. is. And so the way that Uh, you would be told that the wedding's about to start, is a servant would go out and they'd tell you, hey, when the sun gets from there to there, just on top of that tower, that's when the wedding is going to begin. So you knew the day, not necessarily the time. And when the servant comes, that's when you would prepare and you would come. But in verse 3, we see our first twist, don't we? Because out goes the invitation. The wedding is about to begin. And at the end of verse 3, we hear, but they would not come. But they would not come. The first twist in the story shows us people refusing the invitation. In fact, in the original language here, literally the words are, they were not willing to come. It's not they could not come. It was they would not come. They chose not to come. They were not willing. It's a straight refusal. Now, kids, imagine that you are planning a birthday party, all right? And maybe, maybe we can plan Daisy's birthday party for her here, all right? Now, um, kids might have all sorts of themes for their birthday party. They might do a Minecraft theme or a Pokemon theme or I don't know what girls are into, horses? Ballerina themed. Perfect. Okay, there we go. So, Daisy, we're going to do a ballerina themed birthday party for you. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, I, maybe we can do a down payment on this. <laughs> yeah, all right. So, so just imagine, all right? And, and mum and dad, they, they get all of the party ready and, and we invite all of Daisy's little friends, okay? Uh, the friends at Playgroup and we invite some of the friends here at church, even Zoe turns up and, uh, and then, well, is going to turn up, uh, invited to turn up. But then um, it's the day of the party and we have... All the food set up, it's all pink themed, a pink cake, a ballerina on top of the cake. Hanging from the ceiling is Pikachu dressed as a ballerina and a piñata, right, just to cover both bases. Uh, And it's all ready. But then nobody turns up. Not even me, not even Zoe. (laughs) Nobody turns up. How do you think Daisy would feel? Terrible. Sad, that's right, CK. She would feel devastated. If that happened to me, if that happened to you as a kid, that would be devastating, wouldn't it? And that's what happens here in this story. The king invites all these people to his wedding and they just don't bother to come. 
They don't even bother to reply to the RSVP. You go onto the Facebook page for the wedding and it says they've seen the invitation. You know that little thing? It says seen. They haven't even bothered to say going or not going. But the king tries again. He sends servants out a second time. Verse 4, he says to his servants, tell the people, look, behold, see, I've got a spread of, of, of food ready. Entrees, canapes, pulled pork sliders going around. There's a spit roast for mains. There's that turducken thing you can get from Aldi, right? There's all of that. There's a guy, a chef out the back who's making a crockenbush for dessert. This, like, this is a serious feast. It's ready. The food's on the table. Come now. You're invited still. But verse 5, how do they respond? They paid no attention. And they went off, one to his farm, another to his business. Now, it's one thing if you need to refuse a wedding invitation because there's been a family emergency or you're in hospital or something like that. But the reason these guys give, what is it? It's, it's I've got to go look after my farm. I've got to go and look after my business. If you jump over to Luke's version in Luke 14, there's a bit more detail. It's like the guy's just bought a bunch of oxen. It's like, it's like he's just bought a car, okay? He's already bought it and he goes, I, I want to go inspect it. Shouldn't you do that before you buy it? Yeah, well, he's already bought it and he wants to basically just go and listen to how the motor sounds. That's kind of the idea here, right? They're going to their farm just to do their errands. They're going to their business, not because there's an emergency, but just they, they prefer to work on their business than come to the king's son's wedding. That's what's happening. They paid no attention to the call. Sorry, got to mow the lawn. And then verse 6, even worse, there's another group who sees the servants. They grab the guys who are inviting them to come to the king's son's wedding feast. And they shamefully treat them. Do you see that there in verse 6? They treat them shamefully. The word behind that in Greek, I'm going to say it for you, it is hubritzo. Hubritzo, from which we get our English word hubris. Hubris is where you stand over someone. Hubritzo is, is like when you, it's like pushing them over or knocking them down a peg so that you're standing over the top of them and then, and then you can humiliate them while they're down on the ground. Like imagine like tarring and feathering someone. That's the sort of thing that these guys do to these servants who are bringing the invitation to the king's son's wedding. And then even worse, some of them murder the servants. How will the king respond to this? He's given them a couple of chances, hasn't he? He's been patient. He's been gracious. He even responded to the first refusal with more kindness. And yet now they're treating the servants shamefully and even murdering them. Let's not forget these are servants of the king. The king of the city in which they live. They're refusing the invitation, sure, but really they're refusing his rule over their lives. This is serious. So how will the king respond? Verse 7 He's angry. Fair enough, right? He's angry. And so he sends some more people out to those whom he invited. But this time they're not servants with an invitation. They're soldiers with a sword. And he comes and he gathers those who refused his invitation and killed his servants. And it says that the soldiers destroy both the murderers and their whole city. And of course, this twist in the story has a point. The king represents God, right? The king represents God. The feast represents God's kingdom. In Revelation, we, we see about this idea of the messianic banquet, this idea of, of coming to eat with Jesus in his new kingdom, enjoying eternal life. That's the image that we have here. And so the king of the universe sends out an invitation to this banquet, right? He sends out the invitation to be part of God's kingdom, an invitation to enter by believing in his son and becoming his disciples. And the religious leaders to whom Jesus is speaking here are the first to receive that invitation. They're among the first. They meet Jesus in the flesh. They hear Jesus teach them about how to have their sin forgiven, how to be part of this kingdom and live as a citizen of the kingdom. How to have true peace as part of God's kingdom. Here we are 2,000 odd years later, 
right? But they met Jesus in the flesh. They got this invitation handed to them, literally. And of all people, these are the people that you would expect to see at the banquet, right? Given their history as Israelites, given their familiarity with the law and the Old Testament, surely these guys will make it. Except they don't. It's only those who receive and accept the invitation who make it into the banquet. And these religious leaders are characterized instead by one of two responses that are a refusal response. They're characterized by either indifference or hostility. Indifference or hostility. Because remember, there's those two kinds of responses. There's the first where they just sort of paid no attention and did their own thing. And then there's the ones that grab the servants and murder them. So indifference and hostility. Some of the religious leaders just ignore Jesus. Some of them plan to kill him. And by the end of this week, they will succeed. Indifference, hostility. And we see the same in the world today, don't we? Indifference, hostility to the things of Jesus. Uh, Even here on the Central Coast, I made a comment last week about how the dominant theme on on the Central Coast is apathy to religious things. Is that true, do you think? It's just a sense of, ah, take it or leave it. I don't care, whatever. I don't know if it's true or not. Don't really care to look into it. You have a conversation with someone, you try to go deeper with them, ah, whatever. That's the indifference piece. And those who are indifferent to the things of Jesus will not make it into the wedding feast of the Lamb. Indifference is saying no. Indifference is refusing. But then there's also people today that are hostile to the Lord Jesus and are hostile to his people. This is the other end of the spectrum. There are people who are totally incensed about Christianity and to them, we're the bad guys. Jesus, he's the ultimate bad guy. I remember hearing actually about a couple of of, uh, people from this church who were at a cafe and they were reading, whether it was their Bible or a Christian book, it was one or the other. And, and there was a lady who came up to them, I think this was last year, and, and just started raging at them because they were reading their Bible or this Christian book. She was like, how dare you believe in that stuff? Like that, that, is, that is hate, that is bigoted. Are you a bigot? And they got in this conversation back and forth, tried to be gracious to her, but she was just incensed. Right? To some people, Christians and Jesus... We're the bad guys. And you can go onto YouTube, you can find comedians who mock Jesus. And, and you can find wannabe philosophers who have these so-called smackdown arguments against Christianity. It's this hostility against Jesus. But, and I want you to hear this, for the moment, the invitation is still there. It's still there to those who are indifferent to Jesus and who are hostile to Jesus. To those who have that response of refusal, the king still says, holding out his hands, in the words of Isaiah 55, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come to the feast. Come for free. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. And then the question, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and labor for that which does not satisfy. Why are you living in this way that doesn't actually help your soul? Because think about it. How much leisure, how many holidays, how long in the surf does it take until you get true peace? I mean, it never comes, does it? Or when peace comes, it it flies away by Monday morning. Or how many smackdown arguments and and how much intellectual posturing and and mocking does someone need before they feel truly good about themselves because they've managed to put the other people down? There's, There's always someone better. There's always someone smarter. That moment never comes. And so Jesus says, why are you... Spending your life for things that don't satisfy. Instead, come and taste the food that does satisfy. Come to the feast of the lamb, the one who does satisfy. Food you don't need to pay for or work for or strive for. The invitation's there. It's there for you. But if you continue refusing the invitation, if you continue in indifference or hostility, then it leads to the just judgment from the king that you have refused. There's the first point. Refusing the invitation. 
And this brings us to the second twist in the story. Because after the initial guest list reject the king, he does something new. He throws open the doors and he says, go invite anyone that you can find. And this twist is talking about the reach of the invitation. Verse 8, have a look with me. The first group invited were not worthy, it says at the end of verse 8. That is, their response made them not worthy of a welcome. It was worthy of judgment instead. And so now he says to his servants, go out onto the main roads. In Greek, it literally means take the exit ramp, right? Take the exit road. Go on the road, that's, it's like this main road, like the freeway, okay? Take the ramp and, and go up on the freeway and go off the central coast. Go out into the fields. Go out into the, the place that the king still owns, but it isn't the city where he lives. Go out there and go to everyone that you can find. And these people out in the countryside, they might have never seen the face of the king in their whole lives. They certainly haven't met him. They're not in the inner circle. But verse 9, he tells his servant, invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. It's, it's an indiscriminate, casting the net as broad as he can. Invite, verse 10, both the good and the bad. Both the good and the bad. And we, we might get the wrong idea here. It's worth understanding what this means and what this doesn't mean. Because we might get the thought that this means something like, well, invite the people who are morally good and, and worthy of entering uh, and really just needed an invitation. Really, they should have been invited in the first place, right? Invite the good. Then also invite the bad, right? The ones who need forgiveness and need a bit of help. Invite both the worthy and the unworthy is what we might think that this means. But Jesus has something to say about that. Flip back with me to Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount, the famous sermon. We're looking at verse 20, Matthew 5 verse 20. He's just taught that he hasn't come to abolish the law. Think about the Ten Commandments. Worship God alone, don't bow down to idols, don't misuse God's name, keep the Sabbath, honor your father and mother, doing all the actions I learned to teach kids, right? Um, don't lie, don't murder, don't be jealous, all of those. Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish those laws. I have come to fulfill them. I have come to fulfill them. I haven't come to take them away. These are still God's laws for us. And in verse 20, he makes this cracker of a statement. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not enter the doors of the feast, he says, unless... Your righteousness is even greater than those who are known for their righteousness. Your law-keeping must be even greater than those who keep the law and are known for keeping the law. And to really hit the point home, in verse 48, he says, You must therefore be what? What's it say? Have a look. Be what? Perfect. Be perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Moral goodness isn't the standard of entry. It's perfection. He's saying the religious leaders, by the way, won't qualify. He's probably talking a bit ironically when he says your righteousness has to exceed theirs because they weren't very righteous. But you need to be perfect. And so it isn't a matter of some people being bad and needing forgiveness, but there's some people being good and just needing the invitation. No, it's, it's that there is no one righteous, Romans 3. For there is no one righteous, no, not one. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so this invitation in the parable goes out to the good and bad only in the sense of worldly thinking, right? Those that the world would look at and say, oh yeah, by our standards you look good or by our standards you look bad. That, that's really what this is saying. It's going to the type of people that the world would say are good or bad. It goes to everyone, in other words. We see it going to the people who are working hard in their fields, right? They're productive members of society. We also see it go to the guy who's pelting fruit at the city walls because he has nothing else to do. We see it go to the lady who is cooking a meal for the homeless, right? Morally good. And we also see it go to the man who's robbing a cart. The invitation goes to everyone. 
but not because any of them deserve it. I mean, if the inner circle weren't worthy of this invitation, then surely no one is. These people out in the country, they don't know the king, but now they're being invited to come and know the king. They're invited to come however the world sees them, and here's the thing, however they might see themselves. Because, you know, we can look down on ourselves sometimes and think there is no way that the Lord would invite me to be part of his kingdom. But verse 10, the wedding hall is filled with guests. It's filled with guests of all sorts of walks of life. I wonder, have you ever walked into a a party or an event or an occasion that you've just thought, this is out of my league? That happened to you? That's happened to me a few times. Um, One time was when I, I just lucked my way into a seat in the chairman's lounge at Central Coast Stadium. Right, so the chairman's lounge. It's where the chairman of the Central Coast Mariners tends to sit and watch the games. So it's the best seat in the house, right? You're right on halfway, so you see everything evenly. You're like at the perfect sort of looking down angle. There's hubris, right? <laughs> uh, and, and, and free food, free everything. The luminaries of Australian soccer were there. Uh, and so I was literally sitting behind Holger Osiek, if you know who that is. Uh, he was at the time the national coach for the Socceroos. I accidentally kicked his chair and he turned around and I'm like, sorry, there you go. Like, <laughs> that's, that's the crowd I was with. And I'm just thinking to myself, I play in the B division of church soccer league. <laughs> like, I don't belong here. <laughs> but I was invited. I, I had an invitation and that allowed me to get in. What the heck is a random like me doing here? It's out of my league, but that's the point of the story. That's the point. Yes, it is out of your league to be in God's kingdom. It's out of my league too. We are not worthy to come. The king invites people who have no right to be at the wedding. And yet, and yet, this is the king's kindness. This is God's kindness. You're invited. If you sense what that really means, then you will know that you are out of your league. We've all sinned and fallen short. And yet, and yet, this is God's kindness. You're invited. This is the reach of the gospel. And on the one hand, there are those who spurn and refuse the invitation. But on the other, there are those who never thought they could be invited. There are those who aren't Christian and remain non-Christian. There are those who feel like they could never have a place in God's kingdom. I've done too much wrong. I've stuffed it up one too many times. I was aware that God was inviting me. Not only once, not twice, not three times, dozens of times, hundreds of times. And yet I, I said no again and again and again. Surely he's done with me. Surely he's given up on me. I'm going to end up burning with that city with those other guys who refused the invitation. Some of us may think. But no. Friend, the invitation is here. It's not on the basis of what you've done. It's on the basis of what Jesus has done. In fact, it's right there in his name, Jesus. Right back in Matthew chapter 1, in verse 21, the angel tells Mary what she is to name this child that has been born. And the name is Jesus, verse 21, for he will save his people from their sins. He's the saviour. And then if you just flip back to, to chapter 20, verse 28. Chapter 20, verse 28. Notice at the end there that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom, a payment a substitution, because when Jesus died on the cross, he died for your sin. He died for your falling short and mine. He died for our sin. He died to take the judgment of God that we deserve. He, he took the fire. He took the, the judgment as if he was the one that refused the invitation, as if he was the one that had fallen short, as if he was the one who had gone and murdered the servants. He took our judgment as if he was the lawbreaker. And in so doing, he trades his perfect sinlessness for our falling short sinfulness. We turn to him in trust, in faith, 
clinging to his work on the cross. And we find that trade, that ransom payment given for us. And in response, he invites us to enter the kingdom by clinging to him in faith. So if you worry that there's no place for you in God's kingdom, worry no more. Worry no more. The reach of the gospel is for everyone and anyone, especially the bad. Because we're all bad, aren't we? We need Jesus. Cling to him. Because this invitation of the gospel, it can reach anyone. Anyone. Now, feels like we could end the sermon and the story there, doesn't it? In fact, in Luke's version, Luke 14, he does. That's the end of the story. The reach of the gospel. But here, as Matthew records Jesus talking with the religious authorities, he's got another point to make. There's one more twist that's coming. And this twist has to do with the requirements of the invitation. We can come for free. Entry to the feast isn't based on anything that we do. But that doesn't mean that we can come however we want. There are requirements attached to the invitation. Back to the story. Verse 11. The king comes to survey his party. It's pumping now. The hall is full of guests. Unlikely guests, to be sure. But here they all are. And verse 11, here's the twist. He finds someone who isn't wearing a wedding garment. Now, today, we might picture a wedding garment as, you know, your best fineries, right? Like a, a nice suit, uh, maybe even a tuxedo if it's the king's son's wedding. Uh, or, or ladies, you know, a really nice dress. Um, something like that. But... In the first century, that wasn't really the, the way things were done. Uh, if you went along to a wedding, it, basically just wear nice clothes, right? You don't have to go out of your way to wear something really expensive. Most people didn't have that kind of money. And it wasn't like you could just go down to Maya and get something pretty good for whatever price, right? It, maybe even 50% off. They didn't have sales. They didn't have Maya. <laughs> and so um, instead, what, what you do is you just put on maybe a white shirt that's, that's clean. It doesn't have spots on it. And, uh, and, you know, wear the rest of your normal clothes, and that's okay. So if you wear less than that, it really shows that you haven't bothered, doesn't it? So imagine, for example, if someone rocked up to a wedding in a, a wetsuit, right? And they've rolled the wetsuit down to, to their waist, and up the top they've got like a bintang singlet, something like that. Or imagine someone rocking up, and you can tell they've just come from the garden, right? There's grass stains all over their shirt. It's dirty and muddy. They're smelling like B.O., this is the sort of person that they just haven't bothered, right? And it might even be worse. They might be thinking, I can come however I want. No one's going to pull me up on it. It's not like there's going to be bouncers at the door. I'll just come as I am and people have to accept me as I am, right? That's the idea with this guy who hasn't even bothered to meet the basic standard of dress. Now, the king wonders what on earth is going through this guy's head. And so he comes to him in verse 12 and he says, friend. And hear that tone there, friend. Like it's not an accusation, actually. He's, it's another invitation. Like, uh, can you explain to me? I'm curious. I'm wondering, how is it that you got in here wearing this? Friend, can, can you explain? Because maybe there is an explanation, right? Like maybe he's wearing a wetsuit because he's just saved the drowning woman on the way to the wedding. Uh, maybe he's, he's covered in dirt and mud and smelly because he looked down the wedding aisle and he saw a ditch that the bride might fall into and he's quickly gone and filled it. And he's, you know, there could be an explanation. So friend, can you explain? But the man is speechless. He's speechless because he doesn't have an explanation. His explanation was... I just kind of thought that I could get away with it. Like, I didn't think you'd really care and I could just come however I want. Maybe even it's as much as, yeah, you know, this king is, no, is all bark and no bite. He won't really follow up. And even if he is a bit upset, who cares? Maybe it's something like that. It's this presumption that I should be able to come on my own terms, no strings attached. Everyone should accept me exactly as I am, no matter what I do. But here's what he's missed. There are requirements for accepting the invitation. Entry may be free, but to remain at the feast, there are conditions. It's a bit like if we come back to Daisy's birthday party. Okay, She's got the ballerina cake there. And, and let's imagine this time that, that we're all there. 
okay? Daisy, I hope that you want the whole church at your birthday party. <laughs> so, so imagine that we're all there, right? And, and someone rocks up and they go to Daisy's little present table. She's got all her gifts there that we've all brought. And, and one of the other kids goes and starts opening up all of those presents and loading the toys into their car. I'm imagining a bit of an older kid here, okay? I don't think Daisy would like if someone was stealing all her gifts, would she? And imagine if then also... Yeah, that's right, Emmanuel. She'd probably be crying. Uh, imagine if also... she I can see all sorts of things from the stage. Uh, imagine also then uh, someone comes and grabs like a big handful of the cake that Nicole has, has really carefully baked and lovingly baked for Daisy. And before anyone can even see the candles being lit, it's just... Oh, right? Now... Whoever that kid is, Daisy might be thinking, I wish that I didn't invite them. In fact, probably if they keep doing this, they're eyeing off the Pikachu piñata, right? They probably can't stay. And that's exactly what happens here. Uh, for this man, even though he was invited, he kept acting in this way that was contrary to the best interests of those at the feast. And so verse 13, the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It sounds full on, but remember what he's done. It's not that the sin is just wearing the wrong clothes. It's, it's, sin is not defined by just the action. It's defined by who the action is against. And so here he has done this uh, offense against the king, right? If you go and slap a friend in the face, they might forgive you. If you slap a cop in the face, you're going to probably end up in jail. If you slap the queen or the king in the face, you're going to end up on international news and the book is going to get thrown at you. That's what happens here. And so he gets thrown out. And, in, and Matthew 24 and 25, by the way, um, there's this metaphor of, of the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth and the outer darkness. It means hell. It's Gehenna. It's the place where sinners are sent if they offend the king and do not turn to the sun. And so here's the point that Jesus is making with this final twist. Life in Jesus' kingdom has requirements attached to it. Yes, entry is free. It is through the, the blood freely shed of the precious son. But there are requirements of living in the kingdom and what we wear matters. On the one hand, we need to be clothed in Jesus' righteousness, do we not? We need to be clothed in, in that, that exchanged shirt, if you want, where Jesus takes our sin-soaked shirt, our sin-soaked clothing, wears it himself, pays our debt, and then trades it for his righteous, perfect clothing. So that as the Father looks at us, he sees no longer a sinner, but the work of his Son in clothing us in righteousness. That's the first kind of thing that we need to wear. And we wear that by faith in Jesus Christ, not by works. But there's a second level of significance to this as well, because anyone who has been clothed in Jesus' righteousness and has this new identity as a saint will live a new life. That just goes with it, right? If you've been clothed in Jesus' righteousness, you're going to keep that clothing on. You're not going to try and kick it off. You're going to wear the clothes that fit. You're going to learn to live in the kingdom. And this has to do with works that flow from faith. Faith is the root of our salvation. It's under the soil. But then there is fruit and obedience is the fruit. One of the verses that talks about this is Colossians 3 verse 9, where Paul says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. Right? You've taken off that clothing with all of its practices. You've put on the new self. You've been clothed in Jesus Christ. And this new self, this new identity is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And it's not just to do with lying, by the way. That's, that's one example he gives. Further up in the passage, he talks about a bunch of things that belong to the old life and the old clothes. Sexual immorality, speaking with impurity, evil desires, jealousy, wrath, slander, gossip. The list goes on. He says, get rid of those clothes. Why? Because they don't fit you anymore. Those are the clothes of the old life. You've been clothed in Jesus' righteousness. And so learn to be this new self that's being renewed day by day to look more like your creator. Our works matter. 
And so a real response to the gospel invitation is not just saying some words. It's not just saying, I believe in Jesus. Okay? It's not just walking down the front at a Billy Graham crusade or at a youth event with tears in our eyes saying, I'm so sorry. That might be a significant moment of turning, but, but there's more to it than that. A real response is turning to Jesus and being clothed in forgiveness and righteousness given by Jesus himself. It's becoming someone new and then, as a result, going forward to live as someone new. It changes us. Not someone who always gets it right, to be sure, but someone who's learning to live more and more like Jesus. These are the requirements of the invitation. And sadly, there are people who would say that they are Christian, but their life undermines their profession. They think that they can live however they want, that they should just be accepted on their own terms. But it means, friends, be very clear on this, they will not have a place in God's kingdom. Jesus says there are some who will say on that day, Lord, Lord, and he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. You were neither clothed in my righteousness, nor did you live in a way that befit the clothes that you were given. And this is why Jesus ends the parable. Verse 14, For many are called, but few are chosen. The gospel goes out to many. The invitation goes out to many. Many people hear it. The religious leaders heard it. We're hearing it this morning. Many churches around Australia and the world are preaching a similar message. Many are called, many invited, but few are chosen. Far fewer find that God has chosen them to be in his kingdom in such a way that leads them to have faith and repent and turn to Christ. One commentator puts it this way. Many hear the outward call to God and many appear to respond. There's an appearance. But God chooses only some of them to enter his eternal heaven. We know who these are. How do we know who's a genuine Christian? How do we know who's chosen by God? We know who these are by a profession of faith that is verified by a godly life. A profession of faith clothed in Jesus' righteousness, verified by a godly life going in to, to live in a way that befits the clothes that they've been given. Many hear the invitation. Some refuse it straight away. Some are reached and appear to accept it. But if someone really is part of God's kingdom, there will be evidence in how they live. They'll be learning to live on God's terms and not simply their own. That's the requirement. And so, friend friend, an invitation to consider, what does God see you wearing? What does he see you wearing? If he sees you wearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ, because you are clinging to him in faith, and he sees you learning to live consistently with this new clothing he's given, yes, stuffing it up, but going to the Lord for forgiveness and being earnest and serious about repentance, confessing even to a brother or sister, I'm struggling, being serious about repentance. If he sees you doing this, even if you're struggling, be encouraged. Be encouraged. There is a place for you in the kingdom, friend. You are here by the invitation of God and God the King has brought you in. And so look down at the clothes you're wearing. Not what the world might say about you, not just what your brain might say about you, but look at what Christ has done for you. Look at the clothes you're wearing. See he's made a place for you here and go on living as a citizen of the king. But if he sees you refusing the invitation, or even worse, thinking that you can somehow be part of God's kingdom on your own terms, like God and I have this deal, beware. Jesus gives a grave warning to even the religious elite of his time. And he warns us too. Today, do you need to turn away from something that is keeping you from accepting this invitation? Do you need to stop living on your own terms and accept Jesus as both your Savior and your Lord? We're going to pray. And in this time, 
want you to reflect on these things and respond in your heart to the Lord in whatever way he's laid it upon you this morning. Lord, some of us come to you heavy-hearted because we're convicted over sin. And so, Lord, I I pray that, that those who are convicted and are turning to you in faith and repentance, that you, Lord Jesus, would be their advocate. Lift them up. Please, Lord, lift them up by your mercy. We don't deserve it, and yet you freely give it. Lord, some of us are, are coming to you perhaps um, challenged, challenged by the hostility of the world or the indifference of those that we want to see turn to Jesus. Oh, Lord, encourage us, we pray. Help us continue to pray and reach out. Lord, I know some are not coming to you at all. And I pray that you would open their eyes. May they see you, the true king. We pray for them together as a church. We pray for our friends, our family. We pray, Lord, that many would fill the wedding feast of the Lamb. And for those of us, Lord, who um, just need the the help to repent, to turn away from sin, we we pray, may the Spirit uh, help them to to take what you've revealed in this parable uh, and, and continue to put sin to death. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to share in the Lord's.